I wonder if anyone here would consider themselves a very careful person. Anyone just by raising a hand, I'm a careful person. I I like to uh, kind of take everything in before I commit to doing something. I like to know everything I can possibly know. Anyone relate to that? Yeah, you like to just work out everything. I want to just make a bet just for a moment that even the most careful people in here, those of very happily put their hand up and say, yeah, I take great care in everything I commit to. I would think that every single week you commit to something without fully knowing the whole picture. Why why do I know that? Well, because I know what I'm like when it comes to agreeing to terms and conditions on things that I order on the internet. We do it every single week, don't we? Or we sign up to something and we say, Have you, you, can't, you can't continue until you've subscribed to the terms and conditions. And does anyone actually read the terms and conditions here? I don't think anyone does. And even if you don't do that very often, every day you are clicking accept cookies without knowing what cookies really even are. Yeah, I'm accepting them. They sound good to me. I like cookies. And you accept them. I wonder if you have ever taken a moment to consider what are the terms and conditions of this life of following Jesus? Have you ever really considered what, what it all will look like? What are the promises that are made to you and what are the promises that are not made to you? Have you ever considered those things? This guy on the screen is Jim Elliott and in the 1950s he and along with some of his friends went to Ecuador in South America, to share the gospel of Jesus with people. And uh, they saw a number of people become Christians, which was wonderful. And then they entered deeper into the rainforest, and they came across the Orca tribe. And although initially contact was good and friendly, after some time, the tribe there turned on he and his friends and speared all of them to death. And Jim Elliott was just 28 years old at the time. I wonder if you just hear stories like that sometimes and you just think, what was that all about? This was a guy who was giving his life to the mission of Jesus, giving his life to, I want to tell everyone about this Jesus. I want everyone to know. And then he suffers a horrible and untimely death. It might make you wonder, what what am I actually being promised here? What are the terms and conditions of this deal of following Jesus. What are we promised? Well, Psalm 91, which we're going to dive into in just a moment, is full of some big promises. And we're going to ask ourselves, what is this psalm not saying, first of all? Then we're going to look at what it is saying, and then we're going to look at how we might respond. Are you clear? This is where we're going. So Psalm 91, we're going to read. Here we go. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. 
If you say the Lord is my refuge and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him and with a long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. How on earth are we to understand this psalm? Because it speaks of the promises of God to protect us. So what are we to do with this? How are we to understand it? I want to suggest that there's more than one way to approach this. And there's a right way and a wrong way. How do I know that to be true? Why do I think that's the case? Well, because the enemy, the devil, Satan himself, actually uses part of this psalm to try and tempt Jesus. There's a moment in Jesus' life before he starts his public ministry where he goes into the wilderness for some time. And in the wilderness, he faces a series of temptations, of tests from the enemy, the devil. And the devil tempts him by saying, hey, jump off the top of the temple and you're going to be fine. Because it says in Psalm 91 that these angels are going to catch you. And you're not even going to stub your toe, is basically what he says to Jesus. So there's a way to approach this that is clearly wrong because Jesus rebukes Satan. And he says, it is written, you shall not test the Lord your God. So we have to kind of understand that uh, there are some ways in which the scriptures can be twisted in order to get us to believe wrong things. Because our enemy, the devil, is called the father of lies. That means he, uh, he will use things that sound plausible, that are half-truths, or not the full picture, in order to trick us. He doesn't use things that often seem really implausible. They seem plausible, don't they? And we can be tricked into thinking, well... Okay, if God really loves me, he's never ever going to let anything bad happen to me. He's never going to let me go into any trouble at all. And if you are tricked into believing that, then at some point the wheels are going to come off your faith. And you're going to think it didn't work. I thought when I became a Christian, it was all going to be okay. And then it didn't work. Walk away. That's what happens sometimes. Because we can be tricked into thinking that this is saying what it's not actually saying. Or that this life is going to be easy. Now about 500 years ago when the Anglican church was first being formed, the Church of England, they drew together some articles, some things that they thought were really important. And one of them was this. That the church may not so expound one place of scripture that it becomes repugnant to another. Okay, that's some fancy language for saying you can't make one part of the Bible say something that really obviously contradicts another part of the Bible. You can't get it to say something that will, just to another part of the Bible, look completely wrong. And we have to see, we have to view the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament through the lens of all that Jesus did, all that he said, his life, his death, his resurrection, that has got to change the way that we see the Old Testament. 
and the teaching of his apostles, those he appointed as leaders in the early church. We've got to see their teaching, and this has got to bring light to what the Old Testament is teaching. So there's good stuff for us in here. It's all God-breathed and profitable for us. It can strengthen us, but we've got to see what does the New Testament bring to bear on these scriptures. Do you understand? We can't just read the Old Testament as if Jesus had never come. We can't just uh, read these things and draw conclusions as if Jesus had nothing to say about these things. And Jesus had plenty to say about trouble and tribulation. He says in John 16, we heard it from Tommy a few weeks ago, that you will in this life have trouble. You will have tribulations. He says of, uh, that, that there will be some who will be persecuted because of the word of God. Some will know a persecution because they belong to Jesus, because they speak of his name. And then his own brother, James, who gets a book in the Bible called James, he says, you will go through trials of various kinds. Lots of different kinds of trials you're going to go through. The apostles Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 14, they say it's through many hardships that we must enter the kingdom of God. Peter, whose letter we've been going through quite recently in the church, in 1 Peter chapter 4, talks about suffering as a Christian. So it's abundantly clear that Psalm 91, when we see it through the lens of the New Testament, it is not a get-out-of-suffering-free card. It's not, if I just say some things, if I just uh, repeat the mantra of verse 9, the Lord is my refuge and, me, and make the most high my dwelling, that no harm will ever befall me. It's not the case that if we just repeat some things, like we're kind of like some sort of robot, okay, the Lord is my shelter, and therefore I'm going to be protected. I've got some sort of force field around me. That's not what Psalm 91 is saying. And I saw during the pandemic, Psalm 91 kind of doing the rounds. Okay, if you say these things, then you won't get the plague. You won't get COVID. Now, I didn't kind of... Um, belittle that or rebuke anyone. Say, don't send that around because actually there are some deep promises to us here that are really encouraging to us. But I don't think it's the case that we can just say verse 9, the Lord is my refuge over and again, and then we'll never ever get ill. We'll never ever know trouble. We've got to see it through the lens of the New Testament because if we, if we don't do that, then we will become unstuck because we'll go through periods of life where Things will be really difficult. You've got to understand that. Maybe life's good right now. There will be times in your life where it will be hard, where it will be difficult. And sometimes things will pile up all at once. And you'll think, how on earth is this possible? There's these three or four things going on. And it's really hard. You've got to understand what God is promising to us. You've got to understand what he's not promising here. He's not promising a trouble-free life. And I, I just want you to hear this because it's important. I am an expectant charismatic. I, I expect that God breaks into situations and heals people today. There were friends of mine at New Day this week who got healed this week. There were hundreds of people who testified to instantaneous physical healing this week at New Day. And many of those from last year who then went and got verification from their GP that they are healed were testifying on the stage. It happens today that God breaks in and heals. He does. And I'm expectant that we can pray, God protect me. 
protect me in this situation. I think that's true and we can do that and should do that. But this is not God saying that if you follow Jesus, you will never know harm or trouble. It's not saying that. So what is it saying? What are the terms and conditions, as it were? What are we promised? Well, enter Jesus, who says something really profound. In Luke chapter 21, he's starting to speak of the end times. He's starting to speak of the time where uh, there will be great trouble in this world. And I can tell you an exclusive take on this today. We are in the end times now, okay? Not because I've got some kind of secret information. No, but because the end times began when Jesus ascended to go and be with his father and they will come up into uh, their fullness and completion when he returns again. So there are in this time troubles and persecutions and hardships. And Jesus speaks about them in Luke chapter 21. He says, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. But before all this, he's talking to his disciples here, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind. Make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. This is a really key bit. I need you to listen to this. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. But not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Can you imagine them at the moment, in that moment saying, hang on a second, Jesus, you just said that my family are going to kill me. And then you said, but not a hair of my head will perish. Do you remember the bit you just said, Jesus? <laughs> These things can't be true, surely. This is really important that we grasp this. It's really important we understand what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I will watch over and care for your soul. Nothing will pluck you from my hands. In me, with me, you are indestructible. That's what he's saying. He's not promising them that they're going to live forever. Not promising in, in this world, in this life, as it were. He's saying you are going to be indestructible. Nothing can take away your greatest possession. I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to protect you through trouble. And if I decree that it's time for you to come home, I'm going to bring you into my joy forever. And you will enjoy everlasting life with me. This is what he's getting at here. Some of you are going to be killed, he's saying, but not a hair on your head is going to perish. I've got plans for you. I've got good things for you. And nothing that can happen to a Christian can rob them of their most treasured possession. That is the love of God in Christ. And the Apostle Paul unpacks this in Romans chapter 8, which I just think are some of the most uh, key verses that you could ever read. I want to encourage you, each one, read Romans chapter 8. Read it regularly. This is what the Apostle Paul says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship 
or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is what Jesus is getting at when he's saying, some of you, you're even going to be killed on account of me, but not a hair on your head's going to perish. You'll never be separated from me. You'll never be separated from the love of God. This is what Jesus is saying to them. He's not saying that Christians will never encounter these things. The Apostle Paul, as he lists those things, he's not saying Christians will never encounter those things, but that we'll never be separated from the comforting, strengthening love amidst it all. The Apostle Paul, who is writing this, who was regularly whipped and beaten on account of his faith in Jesus, who was thrown into prison on account of his faith in Jesus, who was eventually executed on account of his faith with Jesus. He is saying, these things may happen to you, but they can never separate you from your most treasured possession. You can never be separated from the love of God. That's amazing news. But you might think, well, it doesn't sound very amazing to me because... I might be going through a real hardship right now. I might be losing a loved one. I might see a loved one in real trouble and distress and not know what to do about it. But great, God feels some feelings towards me. How is that good news? You you need to understand God's love is more than about feelings. His love is way more than about feelings. If it was just the way he feels towards you, then maybe that's not the best news when you're going through hardship. Maybe it's not the best news when you're going through a really confusing situation. But there's something enormous missing if we think that it's just about his feelings. Because in his love towards us, he has acted. In his love towards us, he has done some things that we need to take into our hearts, take into our minds. And there's two enormous promises that he just before those verses in, in Romans chapter 8 that Paul unpacks, that we're going to go through, and it's as we take these to our hearts, as we, bring, as we pray these into our very being, friends, that we're going to know what it is to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. The first is verses 28 to 30 of Romans chapter 8, where Paul writes this, We know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. We see here this amazing promise that God works out all things together so that in the long run, all things will have moved towards our ultimate good, towards our ultimate good to the, to the praise of his glory. Listen, you, you need to understand this, that his plan for you 
is better than your plan for you. His plan for you is far better than your plan for you. And you love yourself. I'm pretty sure you do. And you probably have some pretty good plans lined up. And some things that you think, I want to do this with my life. Listen, God loves you way more than you love you. And his plans are way better than your plans. They really are. And his ultimate plan is to make you more like Jesus. That's his ultimate goal. It's to make you more like his son, which is the very best thing that you could ever know. Way better than any other five-year goals we might set ourselves. His, his plan for you is way better. And he's saying here, he's, committed, he's committing himself to us. Paul is unpacking that God has committed himself to you forever. He's committed himself to you forever. He's not just kind of let you off the hook, forgiven your sins and said, well, off you go now, see how you fare. No, no, he's committed himself to you forever. And he's, he's committed to changing you. He's called you. He's justified you. It means he's made you right with himself. And now he's changing you. He's conforming you day by day month by month, year by year. And sometimes we might think it feels like painfully slow progress, but he's changing you. If you belong to him, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, he's changing you. He's, he's committed himself to you forever to, to, to bring you into glory one day. How can we trust this to be true? How is this not just all kind of some nice thoughts? Well, we can know this to be true because of the other enormous promise that we see here in verses 31 to 32. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Just note the language here. Paul's saying, what shall we say in response to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul is identifying himself here in this situation. And this is a man who's undergoing some serious hardship on account of following Jesus. And he's saying, if God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody can successfully be against us. Nobody can successfully be against the purposes of God. People will rise up. People will try to stop him. But he is unstoppable. His purposes are unstoppable. They're unthwartable, if that's even a word. They cannot be stopped. Cannot be thwarted. In verse 32, just look at the positive side of this. Okay, so it says here, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? The positive way of saying that is, God gave his own son for us. Surely he's going to give you everything else you need because he didn't hold his son back. Surely he's going to give you everything you need. And John Piper, who's a really encouraging pastor and teacher in the States, he says this is an argument from the greater to the lesser. He's saying if God can lift a stone that is 10,000 pounds, surely he can lift a stone that's 10 pounds. Surely there's nothing that is too difficult for our God if he handed over his own son that he may die on the cross 
in our place, bearing our sin and our shame. There's nothing too difficult for him. Nothing that will successfully oppose his people. He gave his son up to the horrors of the cross that we would be spared. And as we, as we take that in, friends, as we, as we breathe that in deeply, as we drink that in, then we are infused with a confidence that I'm going to have everything else I need. As I look to the cross, as we sing of the cross, I loved it that we started to, to sing this morning, your cross, your cross, it draws me to your heart and it makes my spirit sing. It makes my spirit sing because as I see and again behold in my mind the cross of Jesus, as I sing of it and as I rejoice in what he's done for me, I see the heart of God, that there was no lengths that he wouldn't go to to bring me into his family and to save me and to prepare for me a future with him forever. There's nothing that would stop him. And it's as we behold that, and this is why it's so important that we gather like we do. It's why it's so important that we gather as we will next week and we're going to have communion and we're going to celebrate the cross some more. It's so important that we do this because it's as we do this that we see God cares and loves me that much. I don't need to fear all else that might come my way because in this life, he's going to give me everything I need to glorify him, to honor him, to live for him. And then one day, he's going to bring me to himself in eternity to be with him. And I'm going to live on a newly, uh, freshly created earth with Jesus right at the center of it all for eternity. So we look to the cross and we see, oh, if he didn't spare his own son, how much more will he not give us all, will he not give us all things we need? There was a guy called John Flavel who uh, was a Puritan writer. There was a period of uh, theology in this nation from a few hundred years ago, uh, the Puritans. And he, he said this, How is it imaginable that God should withhold after this, after the cross, spiritual or temporal things from his people? How shall he not clothe them, feed them, protect them, deliver them. Surely if he would not spare his own son, one stroke, one tear, one groan, one sigh, one circumstance of misery, it can never be imagined that he should, after this, ever deny or withhold from his people, for whose sakes all this was suffered, any mercies, any comforts, any privilege, spiritual or temporal, which is good for them. He's committed to our goods. He's not going to withhold things for our good that we need because Jesus went to the cross for us. Is this making your heart sing? <laughs> it's making me excited because I know I can look to the future in my life and sometimes I, I come across as a confident person, but sometimes I look to the future and I think, are we going to have everything we need in this? I'm not speaking about uh, always uh, about money or housing or food. Sometimes those things come to my mind. Sometimes, it, am I going to have enough to see that situation through? Am I going to have what it needs to deal with that particular time of life? And I look to the cross and say, God, you haven't withheld from me my greatest need. You're surely going to provide for me everything I truly need as I go forward in life. These promises, friends, these two enormous promises are a shelter that we can dwell in. They're a shade that we can hide 
in from the heat of the day. They're a refuge that we can count on. There will be in this life difficulties and opposition and sickness and perplexing situations where you look around and you think, what on earth is going on? There will be moments like that. But if you live in these promises, if you live in these promises, nothing can blow you over. Nothing can blow you over. If you, if you bring these to your heart and pray them into your heart, nothing can blow you over. No difficulty, no hardship, no perplexing circumstance. We've got to pray these promises into our hearts. The alternative, friends, is an anxiety-ridden life. The alternative, friends, is a, is a life where we we cannot help but try to numb anxiety through many, many other ways. See, there are, there, are, there are different ways which we can try and do that. There are hundreds of cheap alternatives to try and uh, deliver ourselves from the anxiousness that befalls all of us. There are many things that we can try. There's many things that we can run to. But we can dwell in the shelter of the Most High God by, by coming to these promises. Lord, you are working out all things for my good. In the long run, this is the way it's going to be. Everything's going to work out together for my good. Lord, you, there's nothing that can separate me from your love. If you're for me, who can be against me? You're going to give me everything I need as I go forward in this life. How does this... What does this look like in real life? You might be going through a perplexing situation right now. You might be wishing and hoping that somehow it will go away. And listen, it's good to pray. It's good to pray, Lord, remove this. It's good to pray for that. I'm not saying don't do that. But, but what does it look like? How does it land in real life when it doesn't seem to be going away? When that situation keeps going on? When that person continues to be sick and you don't know what to do about it. How does it land? Friends, we've got to be those. The Psalms are so helpful for us. Because there's Psalms like Psalm 91 that are beautiful, full of truths for us. But there's Psalms as well where there's just real brutal honesty with God. Where the psalmist says, where are you, Lord? Or why is my soul so downcast within me? Because sometimes we feel very downcast, do we not? We feel very, I just don't think there's any joy coming out today. It lands in real life as we bring these things to God. We don't pretend they're not existing. I'm sure that when Paul was experiencing the persecution that he experienced, he wasn't just kind of like all the time, like singing, I'm really blessed, just as the, the lash comes down upon him again. I'm sure there was pain. I'm sure it was poured out to God. But then there has to come a moment where we say, but I surrender to the fact that you, you know what is better for me. You've got a better plan for my life than I have. You are working all things for the good of those who love you and who are, who are called according to your purpose. In my life, just four years ago, I had two very sick parents. Both were dying, uh, my dad with dementia, my mum with a long-term battle with cancer. And that was a perplexing situation. And that, along with all the other responsibilities I carry in my family and in the church, 
it was hard at times to know, how am I going to do this, Lord? How am I going to be the son that I need to be and the husband I need to be and the pastor I need to be? How am I going to do this? And why won't you remove this? Because there were times, many, many times, when we prayed for healing. And I think that's right to do. But there came a moment where I had to surrender and just say, God, I trust you. And through tears, I trust that even in all of this, one day I might have a view from the mountaintop and see that you were doing things for good. And we might see that mountaintop in this life. We might see it a little down the line. But we'll see God's hand. We'll see God's hand. We can trust him. We might not always, as Charles Spurgeon once said, we we might not always be able to trace his hand. We can always trust his heart. We're going to be real with God. Are you real with him? Or have you kind of been taught, you know, I'm just going to always put on a pretense to God. I've just got to always be smiling. Hallelujah, you're so good all the time. That's good. He is good all the time, it's true. But it's okay to go to God and say, God, I don't get this. This is really painful. I'm hurting. And come again to the truth of, but I know you are good. But I know you are working all things together for my good. But I know you will give me all I need in this circumstance because you've not withheld your son from me. Let me encourage you, let me urge you, walk this out in real life. It's good on a Sunday, hey? (laughs) Walk it out Sunday afternoon. Come to God. Let, Let anxiety be a springboard to prayer. Every time you feel your heart welling up with, what is going to happen? How am I going to survive this? How am I going to get through this? Come to prayer and come to the promises of God and say, Lord, you have said it. And as my friend Mike Betts often says, if you didn't mean it, you shouldn't have said it, Lord. You've said it in your word. You're working out all things for my good. You've said it in your word, Lord. I'm going to have everything I need. You can be that bold before your father. We come reverently, but we come boldly. Lord, you've said it, and I'm trusting in your promises. Instead of trying to suppress or manage or smother our anxiety with pleasure, we can come before our God, who is a good father, who really cares for us. You can. You can bring it to him. As we come to land today, there might be some here, and you are not a believer in Jesus. And you may have been invited along today, you may have just wandered in and uh, wondering what all these people were doing and followed them. If that's you, I'm really glad you did that. <laughs> and I want you to understand that no one here who belongs to Jesus got in on this because they were really, really holy. They got in on this because they called upon his name. In verse 14 of that psalm that we read, well, let's read it again. It says this, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. Verse 15 says, he will call on me and I will answer him. Today there's an opportunity as we sing in response to these truths. Today there's an opportunity for you to acknowledge the name of Jesus. It says in the Bible that he who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus Christ, who came to earth, lived the the sin-free life, never screwed up. 
he died on a cross, an untimely death on the cross. And he did it for you and I. He took our sin upon himself. The Bible says he became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. We might get completely right with God. And today, even in just a moment, and as we sing, there's an opportunity for you to respond to Jesus. For you to make him the Lord of your life. To trust in his sacrifice on the cross. To receive this gift of salvation. It's a gift, friends. Becoming a Christian. Getting in on this beautiful truth that we've heard today. It's a gift. It's a gift. You don't earn it. You can't earn it. Don't try and earn it. Because you'll be trying for the rest of your life. You've got to receive it humbly. Say, thank you, Lord. I receive this gift. You can do that today. I wonder if we could stand together. The band are going to lead us in some uh, response. We've got some songs, I think, prepared. I wonder if we can also sing again of his promises, that yes and amen, because his promises are so good, so good for us. Well, listen, if you're in that moment, maybe your heart's kind of beating fast right now of, I know that I need to give my life to this Jesus. I know I need to acknowledge his name today. And you're worried, like, what will people think when you go back and tell your family? What will people think? They'll think I'm a fool. They'll think I've got caught up in some weird thing. Listen, that guy, Jim Elliott, who we heard about at the beginning, his motto, the motto of his life, was that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he can never afford, he can never earn. You're not a fool to give your life to Jesus. You may be called a fool. It's the wisest thing you could do is to surrender to him now. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for all of us here that we would take these promises to our hearts. But then I'm going to, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer for anyone here to join in with. If you don't know this Jesus and you want to respond to him now. So I want to pray for all of us and then we're going to sing. Father, we thank you for your promise to protect us. Lord, we might go through hardships sometimes, but your promise is you will look over us and watch over our soul and you will bring us ultimately to you in glory. And we need not fear anything that this... Uh, this world might throw at us. We don't need to fear the fiercest of persecution. We don't need to fear the mockery of others. We don't need to fear the rejection of others because you have promised that you will look over our soul, that you will give us all that we really need, that you will work out all things together for our good. And I pray, Lord, that you will help me and help my brothers and sisters here to dwell in the shelter of the Most High today. Help us to dwell in these promises today. Help us to take these to our hearts today. I pray that this week as we uh, face things that, we might, that might ordinarily make us anxious, that we would turn to you and that we would come again to the truth, that we would look again to the cross and see, Lord Jesus, you hanging there for us and that we can be sure if you would do that for us, we're never going to be without anything we need. So I pray you would help us, fortify us, strengthen us in these truths this week. 
in Jesus' name. Help it to land in real life. Help it to land in the dark moments that face us even today. Help it to land in the dark moments that face us in our workplaces. Help it to land, Lord, as we receive a difficult phone call sometimes. Help it to land that we might say, I trust in God. He is my shelter. He is my fortress that I run to. Help us in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. And I want to just pray a prayer now. If you're here, you don't know this Jesus, and you want to give your life to him, why don't you pray something like this with me? Lord Jesus, I today choose to receive this free gift of salvation. Today, I choose to hand over my sin and my rebellion against you. And I choose to receive your forgiveness, your mercy, and I choose to receive your adoption into your family. I acknowledge you, Lord Jesus, as Lord. You are the Lord of my life. And I want to walk with you for the rest of my days. You might just want to put that very quickly in your own words. You might want to put it in your own words even as others are singing in a moment. If you have done that today, I urge you, I plead with you, tell someone. Tell someone. Come and tell me. Come and tell someone that you know here. Come and tell someone on the welcome team. We want to help you. We want to help you in your next step, which is to get baptized like Sophie has this morning. We want to help you in your next steps of following Jesus. Let's sing to him together, shall we? Let's rejoice in these promises and let's enjoy his presence together.